Speak, O Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Uh, again, I hope that you're having a wonderful weekend, that you are out riding bikes or gardening or uh, doing what I did, eating a pizza on the back patio um, to enjoy the sun. So um, glad to have you here with us this morning. I spent time with a whole bunch of different folks from our congregation this week and this weekend. One of my favorite times, actually, as I did my very first uh, wedding since moving to Canada yesterday. I officiated a wedding for a couple folks that have been here at Bayview Glen for the last six or eight months, so that was all kinds of fun. So they were married at 1 p.m. yesterday, and as of this morning, they are still married, so I'm one for one. That's, that's great. Batting a thousand so far in terms of, in terms of weddings. So listen, today uh, we're talking about jealousy. We're talking about jealousy. Pop culture talks about it, so why shouldn't we? It's part of our slang. We hear people talk about jealous lovers or jealous rage. It's on the radio. The Gin Blossoms had a hit song in the 90s called Hey Jealousy. The Black Crows sang about being jealous again, and even Beyonce has a song called Jealous. It's all over Disney. Cinderella's stepsisters were jealous. The Queen was jealous of Snow White, and even Woody is jealous of Buzz Lightyear. It's all over literature. Amy is jealous of Joe and Little Women. Inspector Lestrade is jealous of Sherlock Holmes. And my favorite, Shakespeare's Othello, is a jealous husband. Iago warns Othello this way. He says, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster with which doth mock the meat it feeds on. B.C. Forbes, founder of Forbes magazine, said jealousy is a mental cancer. Indeed it is, and we're going to see that cancer totally unravel King Saul today and in the weeks to come. So we're looking at jealousy, this one very natural, very destructive human emotion, and we're going to get to know it. What's at its core? What's the DNA of jealousy? What does it cause us to do? What makes jealousy worse? What makes jealousy better? And most importantly, what can we do to prevent it? So for those of you who don't know, we're in a current series called A King and a Kingdom, Lessons from the Life of David. So by way of review, let's just kind of catch everybody up to speed on what we know about our story so far. When we started, the nation of Israel was playing the comparison game and they lost. They compared themselves to other nations around them who had human kings, and they thought, all we have is this lousy king named God. We want a human king in that slot. So Israel made a really bad decision, and they deposed God from the throne in Israel and replaced him with a guy named Saul. Now, King Saul did exactly what God knew he would do. He stunk as a king. One of his stinkiest moments was disobeying God's orders regarding an act of worship, and as a result, God delivered news to his prophet, a guy named Samuel, that Saul would no longer be king. So once God had rejected Saul, Samuel anointed young David, who is the protagonist in our story, as the next king in Israel in a rather unceremonious manner, by the way. And, and remember, only a very few people know about David's anointing at this point in our story. We know about it because we're the reader. Samuel knows about it. David knows about it. And David's family might have some kind of an inkling, but that's about it. 
So what do we know about young David? What do we know about our protagonist thus far? Well, I was thinking about it this week, and, 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 and here's the thing. Uh, this is the best way to explain it. This is what we know about David so far. David is Israel's most eligible bachelor. That's what we know about David so far. David is Israel's most eligible bachelor. And if you don't believe me, single ladies in the room, kind of that mental list, call up that mental list of things you're looking for in a potential mate, right? Call up that mental list. Some of you don't need to call up a mental list. You have like a laminated list in your purse, right? Like I have my list right here, okay? Let's see how David stacks up against your list of qualifications. Here's what we know about David so far. 1 Samuel 13, verse 14 says that David is godly. Everybody wants to marry someone godly. He's a man after God's own heart. David is strong and brave. He just defeated Goliath. David is handsome. 1 Samuel 17, verse 42. Everybody wants to marry somebody rich, and David is rich. 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, says that King Saul would give what? Great riches to whoever killed Goliath. David's done that. He's got the great riches. He's likely fit as a fiddle. He's a shepherd. And now we're just getting like down to like the, the B-level stuff. Like, okay, I've got the big stuff out of the way. Handsome, godly, rich, I like that. Let's get to the B-level stuff. I'd like to marry a musician. David is the best harpist in Israel. He's part of the king's personal core of musicians. David's even an animal lover. David has saved two sheep from the mouths of wild animals, has he not? There's more. He loves his parents, he's patriotic, he's an outdoorsman, and he's a brilliant conversationalist. The Bible uses this language. He is prudent in speech. I'm just waiting for the Bible to tell us that David likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> this guy is the complete package. He's Cristiano Ronaldo, Billy Graham, Bono, and Bill Gates all wrapped up into one. And Saul does what most of us guys would do when we meet guys like that. He gets jealous. He gets real jealous. He gets crazy jealous. And the passage we're studying today uh, details why Saul got jealous and what it caused him to do. So here's the context. Goliath is dead, and the army of Israel is returning home after having been victorious, and David is with them. There's the context, right? They've just defeated the nation of uh, the Philistines, and the nation of Israel is returning home after having been victorious in battle. If you've got your Bibles, open them up, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. You can pick that up and read along with us. The scripture will also be up here on the screen, so you can read along with us on the screen. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. Here we go. And as they, that's the nation of Israel, were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So the Israelite army returns home victorious, and the whole nation has gathered to throw a block party. Picture the streets of Toronto filled with people celebrating a Stanley Cup win. Leafs fans, I know it's tough, but picture it. Picture the streets. 
The women are singing, a band is playing, the people are celebrating, and they are singing these words. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Look at Saul's response in verse 8. And Saul was very angry. And this saying, that song, displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Two things we know about how Saul felt. One, it says that he was very angry. That word angry there can also mean hot. In other words, Saul's anger burned against David. Saul even felt physically hot because of his anger towards David. Number two, the text says that the, women, uh, the, the song the women were singing displeased him. Another way to translate that word displeased him was that the song seemed wicked to him. The song seemed evil to him. So it's not just that Saul was mad and displeased. He actually felt the song was evil. And as a result, Saul watched David with suspicion from that day on. He eyed David. This is bad. This this is going nowhere fast. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Dave, or Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now, don't get stuck on that phrase, a harmful spirit from God. It it simply reflects the Bible's understanding that that God is the ultimate cause of all things. He's sovereign. He's in control. That's the Bible's understanding. Here's what we've got going on. It's a day after the block party. David's back at Saul's house playing music for Saul as he did almost every day. And Saul's anger, his jealousy, hijacks his decision-making skills. He picks up the spear and attempts to pin David to the wall. That means that Saul actually tried to throw the spear through David's body and stick it into the wall on the other side. This is not an attempt on David's life because Saul sees him as a political threat. Saul wants to kill David so bad he can taste it. His anger, his jealousy has completely hijacked his decision-making skills. He is in a jealous rage, and he tries to do it, the Scripture says, twice. Let's keep reading, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him, that's David, from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he, David, had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went in and came out before them. So it seems odd that Saul would promote David, right? But it's not really a promotion. He's not calling him to be a commander of a thousand because he thinks he's great. He's calling him to do that because his original murder plot didn't work. 
Saul makes David a general, and he says, you'll be on the front lines now, so I hope you get killed up there. Saul is trying to get David killed in battle. But David, David had success. Verses 12 through 15 say that the Lord was with David twice, and they tell us that he was successful in everything he did. When it says that David went out and came in before the people, it means that he was at the front of the line when the people came in and out. In other words, he was leading them. And verse 16 says that the whole nation loved him. All of Israel and Judah loved him. And not only did the whole nation love him, Saul's own kids loved David too. Saul's son Jonathan was David's best friend. Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and they would eventually get married. David was successful. David was a leader. David was loved. Every word of the passage is more fuel for the fire of Saul's jealousy. Let's talk about the DNA of jealousy for a moment. Let's talk about the DNA of jealousy. Let's, let's step back and really understand what's going on here. I actually did some research this week on what jealousy really is. And though the passage doesn't mention that Saul feels jealous, this is an absolute classic case of jealous rage. First, we use those words envy and jealousy kind of interchangeably. We use them synonymously. But psychologists would tell you that there is a distinct difference between those two words. Jealousy is about preventing someone else's success. Envy is just a desire to have what someone else has. Jealousy refers to the negative thoughts and emotions of insecurity, fear, anxiety over someone else having or gaining what you want and the resulting action one takes in order to prevent another's success. Let's put it this way. Envy says this, I want what you have. Jealousy says, I want what you have, and thus, until I have it, you shouldn't have it either. See how it's different? Envy says, I want what you have. Jealousy says, I want what you have, and thus, until I have it, you shouldn't have it either. Number two, fear is at the root of jealousy. See, jealousy is not so much about obtaining what you don't have, but rather it's about protecting what you do have and preventing others from achieving anything. It's really driven by fear, a fear of loss. Jealousy says this, I'm terrified that I might lose something. Jealousy says, I am terrified that I might lose something. A guy named Ralph Hupka, he's the professor, professor of psychology at Cal State University, has done extensive work on jealousy within a marriage, especially as it relates to sexual fidelity. Listen to what he writes. He says, jealousy, however, is more aptly described as the fear of losing something. A lover, a promotion, a friend. The fear of losing something to someone else. Jealousy is an anticipatory emotion. It seeks to prevent loss. Jealousy causes us to take precautionary manner, measures. Those precautionary manners are rooted in fear of a potential but not yet realized loss. Jealousy is rooted in fear. And finally, jealousy is intimate. Jealousy is intimate. Why? Because jealousy is essentially a story we tell ourselves about someone else's life. 
And in order to tell ourselves that story, we need information. And what better place to gather information than from those we interact with on a daily basis? Jealousy grows its strongest roots within intimate relationships. This is why jealousy for me is so scary. That it grows its strongest roots within intimate relationships. There are other sins we can commit from afar. David will later lust from afar. We can hate from afar. We can gossip from afar. But jealousy usually rears its ugly head in marriages, close friendships, close-knit sports teams, or business relationships. Hence the reason why jealousy is so destructive and so scary. It threatens to tear away at the very fabric of our most treasured relationships. So in case you didn't pick it up, that is Saul. (laughs) That is Saul to a T. He is deeply afraid of a potential but not yet realized loss. The scripture tells us twice, verse 12 and 15, that Saul is afraid. The people love David. Saul's family loves David. The women are singing songs about David. And Saul is terrified of losing the kingdom. He's terrified of losing the respect of the people. He's terrified of losing the love of his family. And remember, remember, David was in Saul's army. He was a personal musician to the king. And David would eventually become Saul's son-in-law. They are friends. Saul is especially afraid of losing those things to an intimate friend, David. And because of Saul's jealousy, Saul takes measures to prevent David's success. Namely, he tries to kill him. The mental cancer of jealousy is eating Saul alive. The mental cancer of jealousy is eating Saul alive. So here's my question. What did Saul do to allow this fire of jealousy to burn his life to the ground? What what did Saul fail to do that, that allowed this fire of jealousy to burn his life to the ground? Where did he make a mistake? What action did he take that he shouldn't have? What action did he fail to take that he should have? Do you understand the question I'm asking in the scripture? Where did Saul mess up that allowed the fire of jealousy to burn his life to the ground? And I see two things in this passage. Two things, and if you're taking notes, jot this down. First, Saul failed to celebrate the great things God was doing for him. Saul failed to celebrate the great things God was doing for him. Interestingly enough, the passage tells us that when the Israelite army returned home, the women came out to meet who? King Saul. They didn't come out to meet David. Why? Why not David? Why would they come out to meet Saul? Because he's the king. This is his victory. He's responsible for the army. He's responsible for Israel. They're coming out to say, hey, Saul, great job taking a risk on that grocery boy. We didn't think it would work out, but apparently you did. Strong work, buddy. Saul could have gone to God at this point, and he could have said, wow, I really messed up, but I'm going to celebrate how you bailed us out yet again. Saul could have joined in the party, but he does none of that. He refuses to celebrate the victories that God is doing in his own life. 
So why does that even matter? Why, why would celebrating God's victory in my life, what does that have to do with jealousy? Remember, jealousy is essentially a sin of self-criticism, right? It's a negative self-evaluation. So for Saul, his jealousy began with this negative self-evaluation. I'm not as popular, influential, or loved as David. And it grew from there. So let's play the what-if game. What if Saul would have celebrated God's victory rather than criticized himself? What if Saul would have allowed himself to say, wow, God, I'm going to celebrate the great things that you're doing rather than saying, oh, that guy's got something and I want it and I'm going to prevent him. What if he would have celebrated? What if Saul would have said, yes, I am the king and I can lead this party. God is good. God is faithful. Let's celebrate what he's done. We would be reading a whole different story, wouldn't we? But it totally changed the trajectory. Saul's failure to celebrate the victory God orchestrated can be extremely instructive for us if we allow it to be. So here's the key learning. Again, if you're jotting down notes, jot this down. Learn to celebrate God's victories in your life. Learn to celebrate God's victories in your life. How many of you are really good, like I am, at, at, at feeling guilty and ashamed whenever uh, you fail? How many of you are really good at that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Eight of you and me. Great. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so I'm not really good at this. I'm not always great at learning to celebrate God's victories in my life, but he invites us to do so. Saul could have done that, and he chose not to, and it fueled the fire of his jealousy. I've highlighted the word your on the screen there. Go back to that last slide if you would. Learn to celebrate God's victories in your life. I highlighted that word for a reason. What has God done for you in you, through you? How has he provided for you? How has he blessed you? What gifts has he given you? What doors of opportunity has he opened for you? Do you see a pattern developing here? How has he sustained you through tough times? These are God's victories in you. Learn to celebrate it. Learn to say, wow, God, I didn't see that coming. Only you could pull that off. Little pipsqueak 12-year-old walks out and destroys a nine-foot-nine-inch Goliath, and I couldn't do it myself because I was too afraid. Whoo! That was awesome. Instead, Saul's, you know, pity party and whatever else. Learn to celebrate God's victories in your life. Remember, our jealousy begins exactly how Saul's did, a negative self-evaluation. It begins by saying, I don't have X, fill in the blank, and someone else does. I don't have success at work like that guy. I don't have cute clothes for my kids like that mom. I don't have rock hard abs like that guy on the cover of Men's Health. Whatever it is. Maybe your jealousy says, I'm not as popular. I'm not as influential. I'm not as well spoken. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as talented. I'm not as successful as that person. Regardless of what your specific jealousy says, every jealous thought is essentially the same. It says, God has done more for that person than he's done for me. What if instead we counted our blessings, celebrated our victories, and we thanked God for his faithfulness? I have absolutely no need to prevent someone else's success when I'm too busy celebrating all the wonderful things God has done for me. No need. Learn to celebrate the victories that God has done in your life. 
Second failure for Saul. Second failure. Saul failed to listen to any voice other than his own. Saul failed to listen to any voice other than his own. In verse 8, when Saul says this, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? He's actually talking to himself. The, the verb that's used there for Saul said indicates that he is thinking. He said to himself, this is his internal monologue, and we get a peek into it. it. It's funny, because Saul's jealousy has completely blinded him to the reality of the situation. Isn't that what jealousy does? Completely blinds us to the reality of the situation. He, he isn't even accurately reporting the facts here. David had not killed 10,000. How many had David killed? Everybody say it together. One. There's a big guy, but it's one guy. But Saul hears this song, and he accepts it as true. He accepts it as fact, and he tells himself that story. He's listening to his own voice and to his own voice alone. Again, let's play the what-if game. What would have happened if Saul had made that internal monologue external? What, would it, what if he would have made that statement to a trusted friend? You know what that friend might have said? What do you mean he slain 10,000, dude? He killed one guy. One. And he's not after the kingdom. Remember what he did after he killed Goliath? He tried to go home to his sheep. He's only here because you made him stick around. That doesn't sound like an ambitious throne usurper, does it? Now relax, Saul. But Saul keeps his monologue internal. You know, we're the same way. Our jealous thoughts rarely reflect reality. And our jealousy is rarely spoken. We keep it inside, don't we? We don't want to admit it. We don't want to own it. We don't want to speak it out. But admitting it, speaking it, owning it is exactly what dismantles jealousy. So here's an action step towards that end. Here you go. Seek out and listen to godly counsel. Seek out, learn to, seek out, and listen to godly counsel. Three-step process. First, you got to seek it out. Seek it out. Don't sit idly by and wait while your jealous thoughts overtake you. Don't stand by and think to yourself, well, if God wants me to listen to counsel, he'll bring it along. God's already told you he wants you to listen to counsel in Proverbs 19.20. So get busy about seeking it out. Number two, you got to listen you got to listen. Just because we sought out godly counsel doesn't mean we listen, right? Listen to those people who speak truth into your life and let it sink in. Third, the, the counsel has to be godly. This isn't like, you know, your buddy from the gym or from the pub or from the cubicle next to you at work. Find a trusted godly friend and let your internal monologue become external. Stop listening to just your own voice. Let other people speak truth into your life. It will dismantle jealousy. Second, and we've talked about this already, but Saul's perception of the situation didn't reflect the facts surrounding the situation. He saw David as ambitious. David was just called. Saul thought his family would abandon him, and we will learn eventually that's absolutely not the case. Saul bases his decisions not on the facts of the situation, but on how he feels about the situation. 
So here's bottom line truth number two. Learn to base your decisions on facts, not feeling. Learn to base your decisions on fact, not feeling. And, and for some of you, you might even start to recoil and go, Luke, are you saying emotions are bad? Are you, are you saying feelings are bad? Absolutely not. Feelings are, 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 and emotions are a God-given way for us to process. Feelings, emotions are the exhaust system for the soul, right? They're God-given for us to process. But, but, but <laughs> I've heard it said this way, uh, emotions are great servants, but they are horrible masters, We've got to make our decisions on fact. And so when we invite people into our life, it allows us to process emotion in a healthy way and then move forward based on facts, not feelings. We process those feelings and then we make decisions based on fact. And I'll just tell you this, I I know this is tough. I know it's really hard because just like Saul, when our emotions are running on overdrive, it is hard to slow them down. It's hard to focus on fact and not feeling, isn't it? But when we invite external voices into our life, it helps us process those emotions, again, in a healthy way, and then make decisions based on fact. You know, here's the thing. The the, the author of 1 Samuel inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way, wants us to contrast David and Saul. We see Saul in a jealous rage, but we see David in a quiet confidence. How quiet? Well, in case you didn't catch it, David evaded Saul's spear chuck twice. Twice. What does that mean? That means he actually stuck around after the first time. Now, that's confidence. No jealousy, just benevolence. Now, David doesn't avoid jealousy because he doesn't have the opportunity. Remember, David's best friend is Jonathan. That relationship could have been a veritable petri dish for jealousy. It's got all the right ingredients. David and Jonathan are intimate friends. They are tight. David has been anointed the next king in Israel, and Jonathan's dad is the current king in Israel. Could you see how that might make David jealous, might even cause him to prevent Jonathan's success or even prevent Saul's success? But he doesn't do any of that. David isn't jealous. So if Saul failed and David succeeded, how did David do so? How is David different? One way, David chose humility. David chose humility. I know it's just three words, David chose humility, but I worked really, really hard on this one point. (laughs) David chose humility. David didn't necessarily have a humble posture. We, we, We may not, we don't really know necessarily how he felt in his heart, but David over and over and over chooses humility. He chooses to be humble. He was the next king in Israel, yet he served in Saul's army and served as Saul's musician. When David had been anointed king and defeated Goliath, he could have usurped the throne right there and the people would have rejoiced, but he doesn't. He stays submissive to authority, even authority that tried to pin him to a wall. He does what he's told. He focuses on the task at hand rather than what's on the horizon. Over and over again, David chooses humility. And you know what? When David would eventually become king in Israel, David's a far more effective leader when he's humble. 
Even when David becomes king, he's more successful when he sees himself as a servant of the people and not a ruler over them. David gets in trouble when he gets arrogant. Here's the thing about jealousy. It really is a form of entitlement. Jealousy says, I deserve that, and if I can't have it, you can't either. Jealousy is entitlement, and entitlement leads to controlling others. But David does none of these things. He chooses humility, no sense of entitlement, no effort to prevent Jonathan's success. He even serves in Saul's army and helps Saul succeed. So here's our final action step to combat jealousy. Choose humble. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Choose humble. I know that's a awkward way to say it. I know that my English is messed up there. I get it. I get it. But listen, humility is a noun. It means a modest or low view of oneself. But what David does requires the adjective humble. Maybe he didn't always have a low view of himself, but he did choose the humble task, the humble position, the humble role. Over and over and over again, David chose humble. Take a cue from David. Learn to continually choose humble. You know, it seems like this particular action step uh, is, is really easily applicable in a work context. Picture this. You have a coworker or a manager that isn't very competent, that isn't very kind, rarely does quality work, and takes credit for other people's work. And there's a promotion coming up. And you know full well you'd make a better manager than the guy who's in that role now or the coworker that's going after the same promotion. The temptation would be to get jealous, prevent the other guy's success, sabotage the other guy, and take the promotion that you feel is rightfully yours. But again, take a cue from David. The throne would eventually be his, but he chose humble. Same for you and me. When we're tempted to let jealousy take over, make a willful, deliberate, premeditated choice to take the humble task, the humble role, the humble position. Serve your coworkers. Come alongside and support that incompetent boss. Help them to succeed. Do the little things that no one wants to do. Choose humble, and jealousy will melt away. Take a cue. David. You know, David wrote um, a lot of psalms. Uh, I was reading one of them yesterday. It's Psalm chapter 37, and it talks a lot about jealousy and how to combat it. It talks a lot about the way the Lord comes alongside us and, 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 and cares for us. And it encourages us this way. In the English Standard Version, it says this, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So I want to read that psalm, Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 through 9, from the message version, because I like how the message reads in this case, and we're going to do this to conclude today, and then the band is going to come up and lead us in one final song. This is what David writes in Psalm 37. Don't bother your head with braggarts or wish you could succeed like the wicked. In other words, don't be jealous. In no time, they'll shrivel like grass clippings, and wilt like cut flowers in the sun. Get your insurance with God and do a good deed. Settle down and stick to your last. Keep company with God, get in on the best. 
open up before God. Keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. He will validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. Quiet down before God. Be prayerful before Him. Don't bother with those who climb the ladder, who elbow their way to the top. Bridle your anger. Trash your wrath. Cool your pipes. I love that. I'm going to read it again. Bridle your anger. Trash your wrath. Cool your pipes. In other words, stop your jealousy. It only makes things worse. Before long, the crooks will be bankrupt. God investors will soon own the store. Let's pray together as the band comes back up to close us this morning. God, thank you for your grace and for your patience with us. God, there are, there are ways that jealousy lurks inside of us, and we don't even realize it all the time. God, maybe we've never tried to kill someone like Saul did, but, but we've certainly at times tried to kill someone's career or kill someone's reputation or kill someone's success or even kill a friendship that we were jealous of. God, not one person in this room is um, kind of free and clear of this jealousy that can take hold. God, with the psalmist, I pray that you would search us, O God, and know us, that you would reveal to us the ways in which jealousy rears its ugly head in, in our marriage, in our friendship, with coworkers, with business partners, with teammates. God, and you would teach us to avoid what Saul didn't avoid. God, teach us to celebrate your victories in our life. Teach us to invite godly counsel into our life. Teach us to base our decisions on facts, not feelings. And teach us, oh God, to choose humble each and every day.